One of the great blessings of my life as a pastor is how much time, how many hours I able to give to reading and studying and discussing and teaching and preaching the scriptures. It's remarkable, really, to me that I have the privilege of doing this, um, spending so much of my week in the Word. The scriptures, I'm sure if you've spent any time with them in your lives, you know this. They're, they're endlessly fascinating. They're endlessly rewarding to our attention. And I see a, a huge part of my call as your pastor simply as to persuade you of that, to, to seek to encourage you to, to really see for yourselves the beauty and power of God's word in all its complexity and all its fineness that you might indeed come to believe and act, not only believe, but actually live as though the words of Psalm 19 are true, that God's word is more to be desired than gold, even much fine gold, that it is sweeter than honey, even the drippings of the honeycomb. One of the most fascinating aspects of God's word, I think, is how the the different parts of the scriptures fit together, how they relate from Genesis to Revelation, how the the themes and images build on one another, Uh, the, the complexity of the scriptures written by a multitude of human authors, inspired by one same Holy Spirit. All the stories of the Old Testament saints, they they begin to take on deeper and richer meanings when they're read in the light of Jesus and the apostles and their teachings. And we can see this clearly in the scripture readings that we heard already this morning. Um, Stories which separated by hundreds of years Hundreds of years, David around 1000 BC, Daniel around 600, Jesus, of course, around 30 AD. Hundreds of years, and yet three stories that illuminate one another and and, and serve to to grow the whole story of the Scripture together in, in glory, story by story. I want to spend a few minutes walking through those three stories, and and showing you what I mean. The first story we heard this morning is from 1 Samuel uh, 24. And of course, this story serves as the context, the direct uh, context for Psalm 57. It was the time in which David wrote Psalm 57. Why he wrote it was out of this experience. David, remember, is being pursued by Saul during these years. He's been cast out from his court, and and Saul has 3,000 armed men. David just has a handful at this point. He and his small band of men, they're small enough they can all fit in a cave together, right? They're all hidden in this cave. And and Saul's men are so close that they're literally walking right by the entrance of the cave. That's how near they are. And David doesn't have a chance if they find him, right? He's hopelessly outnumbered. And then Saul himself enters the cave. This is a moment, of course, of extreme danger for David and his men. Deep desperation, even terror. But God is with David in that cave. He's there with him in his moment of terror and desperation. And when David resists the temptation to kill Saul in the cave, which not only would have been wrong ethically before the Lord, but also would have been foolish, right? I mean, eventually Saul's men are going to be like curious, where did Saul go? You know, 
Oh, he's in the cave. That's the last place we saw him. We should go figure out what happened. They'll go and they'll kill all David and his men, right? It would have been the the suggestion that the men give to kill Saul is a very short-sighted one. So David resists that temptation of killing Saul. And his moment of desperation, his moment of danger, turns into an experience of deliverance. Saul, when David confronts him with the corner of his robe, is convicted of his sin against David. He repents. And at least for a time, he turns away from persecuting him. He will, of course, go back on his word. But here, David receives a reprieve, a time when he is to build his own band of men, his own band of warriors. God delivers him out of the cave. The second story this morning uh, comes from Daniel 6. About 400 years have gone by since David was in the cave. Now Judah, the tribe of David, is in exile in Babylon. And in this story, Daniel, who's also like David, a righteous man, a holy man, he is also, like David, been conspired against by his enemies in much the same way that Saul conspired against David. And those wicked men have succeeded in throwing Daniel into a pit, into a hole in the ground, into a cave. And this hole, this pit, this den, this cave is full of lions. It is not a safe place. Wild beasts ready to tear Daniel from limb to limb, the desperation and danger of this moment couldn't be more acute, right? Daniel is helpless against a violent and painful and bloody death. But God is with Daniel in the pit, in the cave, in his moment of terror and danger. And in the kindness and faithfulness of God, the pit of destruction becomes the place of Daniel's deliverance. Right, an angel of the Lord comes and shuts the mouths of the beasts, keeps Daniel safe all night. And when the dawn comes, it's interesting how when the dawn comes, things change. Daniel is brought out of the pit safe and sound, and his enemies who had conspired against him are thrown in, and they are consumed. Indeed, the words of David in Psalm 57 are fulfilled in the experience of Daniel in an initial way. They dug a pit in my way, David says, but now they have fallen into it themselves. And that brings us, of course, to our final story. 600 years now have gone by since the time of Daniel. A thousand years since the time of David. But their stories culminate, reach a glorious fulfillment in the story of Jesus. Think about it. Like David, like Daniel... Jesus is a righteous and holy man, and his enemies have conspired against him, even though he is innocent. And like David and Daniel, they have put him into a cave, a pit, a hole in the ground. But Jesus, this time, is not like David and Daniel, simply in great danger. Now, this time, because the story is growing in its glory, Jesus is now dead in the hole in the ground in which his enemies have placed him. He's hopeless in a way, defenseless in a way that David and Daniel never were. Jesus has gone into the pit in a way his forefathers never did. For his pit, his cave, his tomb is a tomb and his body is cold and lifeless. It's given over completely to death. But 
God is with Jesus there in the tomb, in the cave, in the pit. God, as Psalm 16 says, has not abandoned his soul to Sheol, and he will not let his Holy One see corruption. And again, like David, like Daniel, but in a more and glorious way than they experience, a far more glorious way, the pit, the hole, the cave becomes the place of God's deliverance. For on the third day, Jesus is raised up out of that tomb and breaks free from death's power. Death and resurrection, beloved. Death and resurrection. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ are not only the actions of our God that brought about our salvation. No, death and resurrection, this pattern of death and resurrection, is the fundamental movement of the Christian life. It is. David and Daniel both experienced symbolic deaths, symbolic resurrections when they went down into the cave, into the pit, and rose out of them victorious and alive. But for Jesus, death and resurrection was more than a symbol, more than a picture. It was literal death, literal resurrection. But this pattern of symbolic death and resurrection is the pattern of our lives that we live in union with Jesus. It simply is. Remember the words of Jesus in John 12. He said, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. And Jesus said these words in John 12 shortly before he did what? Went up to the cross, went down to the grave, and rose again in glory. Notice Jesus doesn't say, wherever my servant is, there, that's where I'll be. No, he says, if you follow me, you will serve me. Your life must be conformed to mine. And where I go, you go. Where I am, there you will be. Beloved, this is what it means to follow Jesus. To follow him into this pattern of death and resurrection that will permeate all of our lives and will culminate finally in a true death. And on the last day, a true resurrection. But what Psalm 57 wants us to see is that understood rightly the cave the pit, the tomb, the place of terror, of desperation, and of death is not a place where we are abandoned by God. No, the cave, the pit, the tomb is actually the place of God's special presence for those whom he loves. The place where we receive his special and abiding presence, his faithfulness, and his love. Somehow we receive this in the cave, in a way that we don't anywhere else. Remember, Psalm 57 is written, when David fled from Saul in the cave. Psalm 57 is a psalm of the cave. It's a psalm written in a place of danger and desperation and death. But this is how it begins, beloved. Be merciful to me, David says. O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. You see, for David and for Daniel 
and for Jesus and for us like them. The cave, the pit, the tomb is not a place of terror. It is a place of refuge. It is a place of refuge because God is there. And his wings overshadow us in that place of vulnerability and darkness. God is with us in the darkness. He provides refuge until the storms of destruction pass by. That's the claim that David makes in this psalm, and he bears it out in his own life, and in the life of Daniel, in the life of Jesus. Listen to the confidence of David as he prays from the cave. He says in verses 2 and 3, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. God's purpose, David understands, is being fulfilled in the cave, in the place of darkness and danger and fear. And that is because it is when he is at this place, when he is in the cave, when he is at his lowest point, when he is at his most vulnerable place, that David knows that God will show up that God will actually send from heaven and save him, that God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness to him in that place. Beloved, this is what it means to be united to Jesus Christ. What if the darkest periods of your life, right, the moments of true danger and terror and darkness, the times when you lost your job, and didn't know what you're going to do. The moments when you experienced heartache in the relationship with your children. The moments when your friends abandoned you and betrayed you. Or you experienced deep trouble in your marriage that looked unfixable. Or you lost your health overnight. What if these moments weren't accidents weren't deviations from the plan, weren't moments when God took his eye off you, but rather moments when God was fulfilling his purpose for you. Actually fulfilling it. Moments where God's steadfast love and faithfulness were being sent out from heaven for you. Places when you were not actually alone, but you were covered in the shadow of his wings. You see, this psalm, and the triple witness and testimony of David, Daniel, and Jesus, and indeed all of the saints who have gone before us, they invite us to consider our experiences of the cave, of the pit, of the tomb, differently than we would naturally assume. They invite us to see these places not as times when God has abandoned us, but moments when God's presence is especially near. When we are actually being hidden and given refuge under the shadow of his wings. Think about the intimacy of that picture that David uses for the closeness of God's presence with him. You have hidden me in the shadow of your wings, he says. That close. God is that close with you in the cave and in the darkness. David then speaks from the cave again 
In verses 4 to 6, he describes the danger of his situation, but he praises God for the deliverance that God has promised him. He says, my soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down among fiery beasts. The children of man whose teeth are spears and swords, I'm sorry, spears and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. And then he says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps, David says. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen into it themselves. You see, David confesses his fear and his concern, his anxiety openly. He talks about the danger in which he finds himself. But right in the middle of that confession, he bursts into praise. He says, be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. To praise God, even in the midst of our crises, even in our darkness, surely that, in many ways, friends, is the ultimate expression of faith, of confidence in the goodness and trustworthiness of God. Remember the words of our Lord in the moments before his death. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then in verse 6, the deliverance comes. The net that has been dug by his enemies has become a trap for David's enemies to actually fall into. The tables have turned. They're upside down, a promise that is fulfilled not only in the life of David and his adversarial relationship with Saul, but in the lives of Daniel and of Jesus as well. As Mary says, God will bring down the mighty from their thrones and lift up those of humble estate. Then in verses 7 to 11, the end of the psalm, David just explodes with praise. He just explodes with it. In the cave, he explodes with praise. As you listen to these words, as you hear them again, think of them not only being prayed and sung by David, but also by Daniel and by Jesus, for these are words given to all of God's people who anticipate their deliverance from the cave, from the pit, from the tomb. Beloved, this is resurrection language we hear My heart is steadfast, David says. Oh God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. David says it again. Let your glory be over all the earth. Friends, these are words of victory. These are words of praise, which are much the same thing, by the way. And they are a reminder that the Christian life is not only a calling to follow Jesus on the way of the cross. The Christian life is also one lived in union with Christ in his resurrection. Death and resurrection, beloved. Not only death, but resurrection as well. This is the pattern of our lives. 
Resurrection on the last day, yes. Thanks be to God, but resurrection in our lives here and now as well. Beloved, what I want you to see is that the faith and confidence and victory that Psalm 57 describes is not only for David, it's not only for Daniel, it's not only for Jesus, it's for you as well. For you live in union with Jesus Christ. Your life is bound up with his And his death and his resurrection are yours, not only someday far out in the future, on the last day, but here and now, in the midst of your actual life today. In Romans 8, Paul gives the church this remarkable promise. He tells us that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells also in us. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells also in us. Paul says, the same spirit, not a different spirit, the same spirit, the same spirit that dwelt with David in the cave when he was pursued by Saul, the same spirit who dwelt with Daniel when he was cast down in the pit among the wild beasts, the same spirit that dwelt with Jesus when his dead body was laid in a tomb, that spirit, beloved, dwells in you, the very same. That spirit who delivered Daniel, who rescued David, who raised Jesus from the dead, that spirit dwells in you. And that means in your life, death will never, never, never have the last word. It just won't. Because the same spirit who dwelt in Jesus and raised him from the dead dwells in you. Friends, your life is bound up with the life of Jesus Christ. And that means your cave is actually your place of deliverance. That your despair will turn into praise. And that all of the little deaths in your life, small and large, will be met with resurrection. Resurrection wrought by the Spirit of God as he sends out his steadfast love and faithfulness. And so what can we do but say with David and with Daniel and with Jesus and with the saints through the ages and with the church around the world, my heart is steadfast, O God, we say. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your word. We thank you for this psalm. We thank you for the stories of David and Daniel and Jesus. We thank you for the stories of our own lives and how they are places where we know what it is to be united with Christ in his death and his resurrection. Give us wisdom to see all these things, Father, and to praise your name in the midst of all of it. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.